More and more of us are becoming aware of this idea of spiritual awakening. But what does the actual experience of a spiritual awakening, and what is it actually like? Whilst many of us may have this preconception that this is lovely, that this is a lovely serene experience, more often than not, the truth of the matter is something different, something scary and uncertain and confronting, which is where the term spiritual emergency has come from. This week, I had the great privilege of being able to speak with Jules Evans just about the nature and characteristics of spiritual emergencies. As well as being a practical philosopher, Jules is also the co-editor of a book, Breaking Open, which researches spiritual emergencies. So in this conversation, we really managed to have a, dis we had a great discussion about the characteristics and some of the surrounding mechanics and dynamics of spiritual emergencies. Now, I believe that this is a really, really important conversation to have right now particularly as you'll find out in the discussion, given that some of the surrounding things that are happening in society can cause and trigger spiritual emergencies within us. But I also think it's really, really important because more and more I'm seeing people go to yoga and meditation and sound healing and, and, and try dabbling with psychedelic drugs, which is all amazing stuff. But the moment you decide to go and do something like that, you are consciously opening the door the possibility of having a spiritual emergency and I believe that there's need for more conversation to normalize and map out what what exactly is happening during these experiences which leads me to another point if you won't listen to this podcast and you resonate with the contents of it and would like to participate in a small research study and and speak to me and you're based in WA then please, can you reach out because I'd like to hear about your spiritual emergency experience. So enjoy, Jules. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming Jules Evans to the show. Jules, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So for those who don't know, Jules is over in England, in Bristol. Um, you are a writer, speaker, research fellow, particularly in the world of practical philosophy. Is that a fair summary? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I think I wrote something. I think it's from my website, so it better be. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Well, it wasn't just from your website that I found you, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, always yeah. like it, right. Just quickly, without sort of diving too far, why do you feel the need to stick practical in front of philosophy? I think people get very put off the word philosophy. I mean, in some ways, maybe it's a bit rich, me calling myself a philosopher and that, you know, I don't have a PhD. Um, I'm interested in ideas and how they can help or harm people's lives. Yes. And I also have a natural interest in the history of ideas. So I love tracing some idea that's big in, in our culture at the moment, like where did that come from? How did that, you know, so I, I love yeah. to trace that. But um, the practical is just, Unfortunately, um, when philosophy became an academic discipline about a century ago, it was uh, it said, right, we, we want to prove that we're almost like a science. So what we'll do is we'll make ourselves incomprehensible to ordinary people. This will be the test that we're, we're genuine discipline. Yes. And we'll have these journals that will be, and, and you know, it's, it's still the case that unfortunately, um, well, just philosophy's had a really bad century, I would say. 
uh, ever mm. since it became an academic discipline. So by saying practical, you're trying to say, <clears throat> don't be put off. This isn't going to be boring. This isn't going to be uh, incomprehensible. This is going to be useful. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate that you have to kind of make that clear, but that's the yeah. state of play. It's, it's interesting because I, um, I find more and more now for myself as I connect into my own inner compass and who I am in the world. Um, and I feel like at the age of 45, I'm starting to get a little bit of a grip on that. Um, that understanding my own philosophy and my own direction and, and, and finding that by listening to how others actually, what, what is good for some people, what is bad for some people and what is their mm. grip on reality. It helps me to refine my own and gives me more direction at a time when many things out there in the world that we would normally cling on to for a sense of identity are becoming less stable. <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> Super. So one of the, re well, the reason why I wanted to really speak to you today was um, very much around your work that you've been doing recently with spiritual emergencies and particularly your book, um, Breaking Open, which you did with Tim Reed. Um, I, just to set the context for this, um, whilst I myself have had what I've referred to as sort of existential dissolving experiences um, over the last couple of years, also in the podcast, I've had a, like a, a very rich thread of inquiry over the last two months, which has sort of come about, um, where I've really sort of delved into the the mechanics and dynamics of, of what it is to be a human navigating through the human experience and life and that's included diving into narcissism as an organizing principle with professor sam vaknin looking at core trauma um looking at codependency with with the likes of richard grannon uh speaking to uh, a local jungian analyst who we really touched on opening up to the the numinous and having numinous experiences and then recently with um sort of a, a quite a spiritual leader here in Australia, Darpan, and we started talking about spiritual bypassing and how it's a great way to avoid things. And I guess as I look around here in Western Australia, I'm starting to see more and more people, it's been happening for a while, but it's seeing more and more people set against the changeable context of COVID and things like mm -hmm. that. But more and more people are going to cacao ceremonies and breath work and ice bath and yoga and and then all the way through to uh, psychedelics and ayahuasca and so there's a real want to focus inwards and journey inwards and I guess just even through my own experience and speaking to some of those close to me you know there's that great meme that, you know, what you think a spiritual enlightenment is going to look like. And there's a lovely, you know, woman there sitting on a beach like this. What it's really like is you under the duvet going, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. as more and more people, particularly here in WA, start to, I guess for me, every time you decide to go and do something of that ilk, you are consciously inviting a spiritual awakening to happen. And for me, it's not something we talk about very much. It's not very normalized. There isn't that many maps about for this. And there certainly isn't much support. I mean, as I, as I just sort of briefly said to you beforehand, when it happened to me, I drew on my boarding school resilience and just took myself away and locked myself in a box because that's 
what I do, but that's not for everybody. So what I really wanted to do is speak to somebody who has, has, has done some research and, and investigated this because I think it's really important. Do you, is, is that kind of how you got into this? I'd be interested to know. Um, I um, <clears throat> uh, wrote a book. So the first book I uh, wrote was about um, how people use stoicism in modern life, mm. um, which is a very rational approach to resilience and flourishing. And at the end of that book, I was like, stoicism misses some things out. Um, mm. It misses out. It's, I mean, perhaps there's a risk of it being over-rational and over-individualistic. Yes. Um, and um, it misses out the importance of things like connection to other people. It misses out um, non-rational states of consciousness and all yeah. their importance in human existence. It misses out the arts and dancing and partying and romantic love. So there's a lot that it misses out. And, and a lot of that you could define as the kind of the ecstatic. So, yeah. um, you know, when I looked at uh, ancient Greek culture, which was, you know, an inspiration for me in my 20s, and I really kind of dived into it. They balance the rational and the non-rational. They balance the Socratic, like Socrates, and the Dionysiac, Dionysus, the god of ecstasies. They, they would have both in Greek culture. So um, I wrote a second book, and it was looking at how people find um, moments of ecstasy in modern culture. Uh, ecstasy comes from the ancient Greek ecstasis, a moment when you go beyond your ordinary self and feel connected to something bigger than you. Yes. Um, we think of ecstasy as meaning very, very happy, but actually, as you know, the ecstatic can be terrifying. Mm. You, are, you are beyond your usual uh, customary kind of, you know, uh, comfort zone of, of who you are. And, and, and so that's really scary being kind of out of your head, out of your, well, it can be anyway. So an ecstatic experience can be both euphoric and also frightening. Um, so in that book, um, which is called The Art of Losing Control, I just looked at the different ways people can find ecstasy today. In a culture that's, to, to some extent, still quite suspicious of and hostile to ecstasy, mm. uh, as a consequence of like the Enlightenment and as a consequence of 19th century and 20th century psychiatry, which tended to define um, ecstatic experiences as delusional and pathological. Yes. Um, you know, any non-rational states of consciousness are, are, are sus suspect and, 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 yeah. and delusional. So that's the kind of main picture. But then, as, as you said, there are these subcultures like spiritual culture, ecstatic Christianity. You know, previously there have been things like romanticism or Methodism, which, which actively sought the ecstatic uh, mm. and, and kind of... Um, and uh, you know and, and 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 really fetishized them in a way and thought that ecstatic experiences were the most important experiences a human could have and you should go and seek them um so in that book the art of losing control i mentioned a little bit about spiritual emergencies yeah i did a couple of pages on it basically saying there is some research on how ecstatic experiences can be quite messy and quasi psychotic sometimes yeah uh, and you know how to help people through them. So I did a little bit on the dark side of it. Uh, mm. I mean, I, I and I also did things on, you know, how people find ecstatic experiences through violence and war, which isn't much talked about in the kind of new age scene. But it's 
it's huge historically that's you know yeah. hunting and and fighting is, is 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 such a route to ecstatic experiences for humans almost um, yeah and and war and you know um and just hunting as well like you know if you think about human the long human history hunting yeah. in a pack would have been such a kind of high um so um what then happened was that book came out uh, as part of writing that book, I, um, I looked at some of the new psychedelic research coming out over the last 10 years mm. um, from Johns Hopkins Psychedelic Lab, from Imperial College, from Australia now, from Zurich. Um, there's been quite a few papers saying psychedelic therapy is, is, is wonderful for people. It helps you, um, you know, overcome your fear of death, overcome chronic depression, stop you smoking cure you of PTSD and it will be the most meaningful experience of your life. So I, like everyone else, am reading these things going, this sounds amazing. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's time I, um, I try psychedelics again. Um, by the by, the reason I started this whole journey was that I did a lot of psychedelics when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, and then I had a couple of bad trips, which kind of um, traumatized me because I didn't talk to anyone about them and didn't ask for help or anything like that. So that's what got me into philosophy and stoicism and all this yeah. stuff to try to heal myself. But 20 years on, reading all this new psychedelic research, I thought, oh, you know, I, I would like to try psychedelic therapy again, but in a safe context, in what they call a held space, one yeah. of his favorite kind of spiritual phrases. And I thought, because I just thought that that would, might help heal me uh, at a kind of deeper level. Hmm. Stoicism had massively helped me, but you know, there's, there's the rational maybe can only get so far. Like yeah. uh, there's, 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 there might be kind of subliminal kind of trauma yeah. and maybe, and I thought maybe psychedelics in a safe space would help me down there. Hmm. So, um, so I went to, That's and I'll finish, <laughs> I'll finish the story. I'll finish the story scene. Um, so after the art of losing control came out, I went to do an ayahuasca retreat in the Amazon. Um, and it was, it was at a place called the Temple of the Way of Light, 10 day retreat, five ceremonies. And it was really extraordinary to go back into that psychedelic space. And to tell the truth, I mean, this was, this was powerful stuff. Um, you know, I'd never done ayahuasca before and never done psychedelics in the context of a shamanic ritual before, you know, yeah. with shamans singing and things. Um, and it was pretty amazing. But um, in the week after that retreat, I had a kind of messy fallout from it and I wasn't expecting it I thought it might be scary on the retreat and it was a bit but I wasn't expecting it to come up you know for, for all these um, for me to get into mental difficulties after the retreat when I was no longer on ayahuasca yeah uh, so for about <clears throat> five days for let's say five to ten days on and off I was I, I was in a very dissociated state where I felt um i'm not in normal reality like uh, this is this is i'm in some kind of altered reality and my mind was desperately trying to figure out what kind of reality i was in i was like i i think i'm in a dream or or, or maybe i'm in, in i'm dead and in a coma and this is like limbo or something like that so and unfortunately because i was traveling on my own i didn't have anyone to just check in with yeah and for them to say no jules you've just been on an ayahuasca retreat for 10 days that's what you're high so I was just like, you know, and, and it was very unnerving, of course, because I wasn't on drugs at the time. I'd been on drugs before 
and um and it didn't go away even when i went to sleep and wake up woke up again i'd be like oh shit, i'm still in this dream so can yeah. you imagine like that feeling of being like in a dream for several days and i didn't freak out i i was like i'll just have to go along with it but all this weird <laughs> stuff was happening as well which always confirmed to me like oh yeah you're in a dream or something and then finally i got home uh and from the amazon and um or from south america and, and my friends kind of just looked out for me uh, and i and after after a few days i was totally fine but that is what got me interested deeper in this topic and i thought um how can we best support people who have a, an experience like that um mm. and 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 not traumatize them further if they get into kind of uh weird spaces um after, uh, you know whether on a meditation retreat or after psychedelics or just you know after yoga or just spontaneously mm. how can we help people and not just go you're crazy and you'll always be crazy yes. which is how psychiatry can sometimes you know if i'd gone to see a psychiatrist there is a real risk they'd have said to me okay you've got this and it that's for life and therefore you've got to take this medication for life. And that would have fucked me up, <laughs> you know, yeah. like uh, that yeah. would have been bad. So, so can, what can we do to better understand this kind of experience and to support people through it? So coming out of your um, subjective experience and looking at this sort of more objectively, what typically characterizes a spiritual awakening or spiritual emergency would you say um well so an, an ecstatic experience or a spiritual experience as i said is a moment when people go beyond their everyday self-construction yeah um and that's somehow or other kind of uh dissolves or th there's a window through it our, our everyday selves are kind of cobbled together over the years through beliefs and habits and expectations. And they do the job like a cobbled together car of kind of getting us through the day. But there's a lot more to us than that. Whereas yeah. consciousness is bigger. A lot of it's subconscious. Um, it, you know, you, you, we, we access that world in our, in our dreams every night. And you see the kind of weird mythical way our minds are, you know, our subconsciouses work. But also there can be wisdom there as well. And there can be mm. healing. So um, what happens in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a positive and kind of easy uh, spiritual experience is that that kind of cobbled together self, uh, you know, either dissolves or there's a, there's a chink that you can see through it. And you, and you, you know, you feel like um, blissfully connected perhaps to, I don't know, to the cosmos and you feel like uh, just everything's as it should be. Maybe you see everything anew. It's what a lot of poets talk about, like, yeah. oh, seeing the world afresh. Look at that, that flower, it's so beautiful. You know, or like there's people like on psychedelics as well, like Aldous yeah. Huxley famously stared at his gray flannel trousers and just thought, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And yeah. so they see the world anew. Their, their eyes are cleansed from habit. Um, yeah. And that's all lovely. A, 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 you know, a spiritual emergency is when you go beyond your ordinary sense of uh, ordinary ego construction or it dissolves or something but um and it can be both beautiful but it's also scary um and 
it's an extended thing where for some reason or other it's like it's difficult to just kind of come back into the spaceship as it were yeah um so uh, there's a difficult re-entry um and um you basically can get into a kind of extended altered state of reality right um where it doesn't just last for a day but it may, may maybe last for like several days or weeks or months and it can involve things like um you know mania or let's or the positive side of that is intense energy yes. you might not sleep for days or weeks you might see kind of um you know patterns and hidden meanings in everything um the inner world and the outer world blend together so the kind of dream world and the outer world start overlapping and yeah. you might see kind of start thinking in mythical terms people can um archetypal material from the subconscious can spill out so people yeah. can start thinking like that they are uh, divine and, and you know but interpret it in a certain way like they are uniquely divine yes. like they are they are jesus or they are the coming. you know Ish ishtar yeah and they'll start thinking apocalyptically because what happens is like you're in a stage where your old ego has as it were died yeah um and, and something new has come into its place and you can interpret that cosmically as the death of the old world mm. and the birth of a new world and really you know it's more like just personal however what what you notice what i noticed in, in the research i've done is sometimes the personal and the macrocosmic interact so um during political crises people are more prone to spiritual emergencies like in, yes. in this book i wrote which gathered together 14 people's stories of spiritual emergencies one was triggered during Brexit. One woman had a kind of spiritual emergency and it was triggered by Brexit. I've come across other stories during the pandemic of people who've been like, you know, yeah. we're in a fevered state, all of us at the moment. Yeah. And we're but all of us- so clear, this isn't just psychedelics. This is, this can happen just by interacting yeah. with the environment. Well, yeah. And, and like, you know, uh, we're in a bit of a collective spiritual emergency at the moment of the mm. dissolving of the old, the dissolving of the habitual, a yeah. sense of hyper-connectedness, a sense of both kind of, you know, possibility of the new, but also the sense of, oh, is this the end times? And so, yeah. um, and also the flooding of mythical, magical thinking and conspiracies, this kind of stuff from the outer edges are flooding into the mainstream. So yeah. we're in that kind of collective state. Um, so, so it's like that. And, and, um, and it can be very scary for people because often they'll be like, God, I just went on a yoga retreat or I just, I just, you know, tried LSD for the weekend. I wasn't expecting, you know, the dissolution of my world for like several weeks or months. Yeah. And, and, and they're having to kind of try and find their way in a culture, which we don't have many maps or, or guides mm. or words for, for this domain of experience because we're supposedly super rational. Um, so, so they're, they're having to kind of, they're having this, they're also in a culture where if they asked for help, they might get psychiatric help, which would, which would fit their experience into a very narrow materialist box. Yes. Um, and ignore what they feel might feel as the kind of meaningful or even beautiful aspects of their experience. Yeah. So these kind of experiences are unnervingly ambiguous. 
they both can feel very meaningful and 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 kind of beautiful and hyper connected but they can also feel terrifying and painful what i what we found in our research is people are more prone for their spiritual experience to be a messy spiritual emergency if they've had trauma uh in their uh youth right because because what's basically happened is they've gone beyond their usual ego shell yeah and that's both wonderful but also the dark stuff comes out too yeah that's definitely what happened with me like old trauma came out and it's like so it involves that kind of confrontation with traumatic or shadow stuff yeah because i guess uh, like i said there's been a thread in the podcast and, and on my own experiences we create these protective for me a strategic protective persona and and i guess i guess on one level it it takes a lot of energy to run those personas and after 20 25 years i just wonder whether there's a part of us that just goes Fuck, i'm tired now uh, yeah. And it looks for a safe place to just go, I think we'll sleep and just go to one side. And then all of a sudden, yeah. all these things started to happen for me. I suddenly felt yeah. tired and then poof, poof, it was happening. The world seemed yeah. very dreamy. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I just wanted, you know, like when you come back from holiday and it's still a little yeah. bit dreamy, but you just think, oh, yeah. I'll do this, this and this, and I'll be back into gear and off I'll go. Yeah. I just couldn't find the gears. Yeah. And then after a while, this happened sort of frequently. I gave up trying to find the gears. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I that's, began to ease into it. But. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what I found, what we found in, the, in, in, in our research was a lot of time people were talking about experiences that had happened to them in their 20s, and they really didn't have the, the kind of wherewithal to deal with it. They, they, they often had no kind of spiritual training. So they were flung into the deep end of some complete ego dissolution experience. And they're going, what the hell is yes. happening? And they kind of just had to patch themselves up and get through. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't really resolved or integrated. And then sometimes they came back to that kind of messy place in their late 30s or so. And were yeah. a bit more able to kind of cope with it. But yeah, for me, it was like, yeah, uh, when I, it was around the time I turned 40. And I, just in terms of what you were saying, I think that kind of shedding of personae and that kind of like, is quite a midlife thing. I mean, I don't know if 40 mm. is midlife, but like, I think it was, there's a good Brenny Brown quote, which is like, you spend the first 40 years constructing armor and the next yes. 40 years kind of trying to take it down. But, um, but yeah, as you said, there's the kind of dreamy aspect of it because you know, what you call going through the gears, that's the kind of normal ego yeah. trance that we're in. Uh, I'm this person and this person does this, this and this, uh, and that's the day. And then when, when you know, and then in, in one of these moments, yeah, you kind of just go off those usual rails mm -hmm. uh, and it creates this fluid numinous state, but it's, and it's both a bit scary because there's literally like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I, if I'm not that usual habitual person, then who am I? But it also that dreamy fluidity creates the space for change as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, I suppose this is the main message of these, of this, of this book breaking open is like um, other people have gone through this. Um, here's it, you know, you're not alone. Here's what they found helpful in terms of the kind of wisdom practices mm. um, that steered them through and particularly what they found helpful was a frame 
which is this is not just a breakdown. This can yeah. be like the transition to something else. This doesn't have to be the end of your life. This doesn't mean you're on the scrap heap of the rational enlightened society. This can yeah. be this can be a transition to a new you and uh, you know who knows better or worse but definitely a, a new you like uh, yeah. like uh, you know this can be the, the transition to something else where, where uh, you know where, which which also has kind of meaning and and uh, flourishing to it um, so that's the kind of yeah that's in some ways the main message of the book like don't don't be totally freaked out if this happens this happens to other people as well yeah uh, you, you you can st you can um, learn ways to steer through this kind of experience mm. and and already you earlier on you used words like wisdom and healing so yeah there is that going yeah. on yeah that's right and um, and um, um, the people in, in um in the, in breaking open that we we spoke to they often drew on quite similar things to help them through like when you're in a very altered state you can be quite detached from your body and from material reality and quite kind of in a, in a like a bit of a transcendent, uh, you know, dreamy state. So a lot of people talked about grounding themselves in their body and in material reality. Uh, one contributor, when she was really in a very altered state, she said what really helped her was she went um, uh, apple picking in a friend's orchard and for several wow. days just worked incredibly hard picking apples. And that just kind of, tired out her mind to stop it really racing around and it grounded her in her body um and i remember for me when i came back from the amazon and was also in a very weird altered ghostly state um like sitting in front of my brother's fire with his dog like stroking his dog that was that was so grounding because it was just like yeah. the fire and the dog and like a, you know a cup of tea or something like that so 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 getting in touch with one's body and also, also like learning to control your fear and anxiety with your breath is very helpful because mm. I would get these waves of anxiety and feeling like, <gasps> am I, am I going to come back from this? Uh, and I, I would, I would learn to kind of breathe and calm myself down. And I would say to myself things like, you know, this will pass. Yeah. Don't worry, this will pass. Cause the, the, the thing that can really take you down the rabbit hole is if you start thinking it's going to be like this forever, you know, it's, it's like, like this forever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like the worst thing you could say to yourself on a, on a trip as well. It, you know, the alternative is just say like, this will pass, everything passes. Um, so, you know, I'm going to be okay. Um, so that kind of thing. And, and like practicing kindness to oneself, even when you're really not fulfilling your idea of a kind of normal functioning yeah. <laughs> ego, just going, okay, that's just what's happening. That's what's happening at the moment. So I'm going to be kind to myself and let myself have this kind of you know fall apart moment and trust that yeah. you know good stuff will come from it because mm. we can be again what can really mess people up is they can they're in a messy experience and then they just really beat themselves up for for, for not fulfilling their norm their you know normal oh, ego function model super ego will come in and start to tell you yeah this is what you should be doing this is what we're normally doing yeah. Da, da, da. yeah 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 exactly and just just let 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 it go it's not going to last forever just kind of go mm. go with it for a bit keep yourself safe be kind to yourself um i guess yeah, there's, and another, then, I guess there's another bit in there about the people that you have around you because yeah. um to actually to actually share i mean you're at your most vulnerable point when 
you've let you've let go you know you're letting go or you've let go or you've been been let it go um mm. there, is, there is such a active <laughs> yeah. verb of that um <laughs> but um you're at your most vulnerable point and and you know friends work colleagues even family members will have a perception of you know Bryn or Jules like this and all of a sudden you're like that and yeah you actually let go and just say look I am in a state here and this is what yeah I'm. yeah I mean like so the first you know when I was uh 18 and I had a I had a bad acid trip at a party where I didn't really know anybody and I didn't trust them I guess and I felt pretty paranoid and I and I left it in a still a very altered state and I went home to my parents place uh, and I didn't trust them to talk about it um, because I didn't think they would understand. Um, and I didn't talk to anyone about it. And that really, um, you know, uh, that, 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 that made it much worse. That made mm. the, what was a bad trip turn into a kind of traumatic event, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't recover from for several years. Yeah. Um, when this happened to me this time, um, when I was 40 and in, in, in some ways, I think it was the, the return of that old trauma. Yes. Um, I could, I, did, I could not go and hide away partly because mm. I'd rented out my flat on Airbnb. So I had to rely on my, my brother and my friends. And luckily they were, they were also in their kind of forties and some of them had had messy experiences. So they were, they were great at taking care of me. Um, but and, and trusting I'd be all right. And, and it was it was amazing that that kind of week when they were looking out for me or, or maybe it was a bit more. Maybe it was like, yeah, it was a week or 10 days. Or so it was it in some ways it was beautiful. Like it was a beautiful time. And my friends said yeah. the same, like my heart was really open. But I was also quite out there. Like I couldn't read. I couldn't understand books. Uh, I would what they would show movies to me and, and I couldn't really follow the movies. Like I was so, right. so I mean, I remember they showed me the Blues Brothers. They were like, oh, it's one of his favorite movies. This will help ground him. But there was a scene in it which I'd never seen before. And I thought, oh, this isn't, this isn't real. This is, this is a figment of my imagination. And it turned out it was like the director's cut. So it had these scenes in it, which were like, but I was just like, this, what's, what's this scene? You know, like, but, um, but, but they were great. Uh, and it was just like, to know that I could trust my friends in that state uh, and, and that they, they saw me you know, really hardly without any mask on at all. I mean, I was just in this kind of, you know, I suppose like child state of just my heart being very open, but being quite cognitively disabled. Um, and that was, that was fantastic. And people in the book, like one of the contributors, she went to a, um, when she was in a real mess, she went to a, a nunnery she kind of took retreat in a nunnery um and um the sisters she said just kind of just were very patient and, and loving and supportive of her when she was feeling so kind of raw and mm. such a mess um i suppose some others might find that you know i had a friend who, who had just went through a kind of midlife ego dissolution and, and she more like went on retreat herself so she, you know, so that I suppose people have different things that work for themselves. Um, so she, you know, she was she was more solitary, I guess. Hmm. Anyway, yes, yeah, certainly in my case, like my the, my friends and, and the kind of setting 
was super important. Yeah. Um, since um, doing the research, publishing the book, being very open about mm-hmm. that, have mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's always one of those things, if you, if you go actively looking for things, you go and find them. But mm-hmm. has that um, sort of created more impetus, or have you noticed more impetus for people to start normalizing the discussion around this now? Um, maybe a bit. There's I mean, you've got a bit of a way to go in the UK, but, but in the world, in the um, world, <laughs> there's, there's there's very little discussion about this. Yeah. What's strange is um, if you do start talking about it, people will quietly say, "Yes, I I had something like that. I went through something like this, and I haven't told anyone about it." So I hear that quite a lot. Um, uh, or or people will say, oh, I, I went through that and I've never heard any kind of description of it. Mm. Um, and that's that, you know, but I can tell you that, you know, even within like psychedelic communities, there's not very much uh, on, on spiritual emergencies. Even within meditation communities, there's only one research project of all the studies on mindfulness. There's only one research project on difficult meditation experiences. Yeah. Um, on you know, people who go on retreats and they go into kind of quasi psychotic states. Um, so, or, or, or take kind of, you know, personal transformation courses like Landmark or Hoffman, mm. you know, I don't think there's, there's hardly any research on the fact that a small proportion of people go into psychotic states yeah. uh, after going on one of these weekend intensive courses. So, so there's extremely little um, on it, unfortunately. I mean, like, so we bought this, but there is some, uh, there, 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 you know, there, there, there's definitely some, and there are these kind of communities and networks like the Spiritual Crisis Network, the Spiritual Emergence Network. Um, mm. So there is, there is some, uh, there's, a, there's an organization called Emerging Proud in the UK. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like we're in a state, we're in such a kind of, um, we're, we're in a transition time at the moment mm. as, as a, you know, as a species really. Um, and, 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 and I suppose it is a window where, where ideas that were normally n- not part of the mainstream uh, are coming into the mainstream. So there's a kind of breakdown of the ruling narrative of the ruling myth of just growth and technocratic order. And so I, I, I wonder if kind of some ideas, which are basically kind of spiritual ideas are coming more into the mainstream. There's also, of course, um, uh, you know, the kind of ruling psychiatric paradigm of there are these, um, neurochemical disorders called things like a b and c which are which are best treated uh solely with these drugs there's a lot of um there's a lot of pushback against that kind of Mm. narrative at the moment including among psychiatrists i mean my co-editor of the book tim reed is a psychiatrist so there are lots of psychiatrists saying look you know we're not really helping people much here um, we're yeah. kind of just ignoring the meaning of their experience and just giving them kind of sedatives. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, 
I, we've done kind of some talks and, and articles and, 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 and things about the book. Um, and I could, when we do do talks about them, like we, we get a really positive response, but you know, I still think we're a long way from, you know, a mainstream mm. newspaper doing an article on spiritual emergencies. Yeah. I mean, in the UK, um, a mainstream newspaper wouldn't even do an article about a spiritual experience, let alone a spiritual emergency. So it's like, mm. you know, I don't know about what it's like in Australia, but in the UK, our, our mainstream culture is, is quite um, secular and kind of non-transcendent. Uh, you know, we're quite... Um, uh, we're quite uh, just practical, down-to-earth kind of culture. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, they Here in Australia, we, you know, I moved here 10 years ago um, from England. Are you Australian or British? I am British, English. Actually. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, no, your accent's, uh, you know, yeah, less than really you know, your accent. Yeah. But, but um, there's a bit of, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A bit more slower in things. Um, so I guess where I see it here is there is more uh, legitimization of um, looking after yourself because we have such an outdoor culture. So, right. you know, to, to, to go to the gym and, and, you know, there's a lot of people that look physically ripped and things like that. But with right. that also then is this, we're beginning to, we're beginning to understand that maybe there's something more there. Maybe there is something around this mental health business and um, maybe we should pay attention to the number of people who are committing suicide and things like that and, mm -hmm. and anxious and depressed. So there's almost like this token bit of, well, take some exercise, consider meditation, you know, almost as yeah. just a throwaway thing. But yeah. That in and of itself is the gateway for me into this as soon as you start saying take yeah. yourself more seriously and your well-being and your mental well-being i'd like to see the word emotional well-being in there as well mm. um that's the gateway to yes it's interesting like what what in the 60s would have been called like i don't know new age culture or uh, you know um consciousness culture yeah um, spiritual but not religious and now it's called wellness culture Yes. So this is the idea of like, we're not really going to talk about, you know, metaphysics. <laughs> you know, we're not going to talk about the soul. We're not going to talk about life after death or the grand meaning of life. We're just going to talk about wellness, you know. Well, who, yeah. you know, completely, who can, who can argue with wellness? Like, so I know, just, I know. But how it's to be happy, sort of, how to be well. Yeah, but it still so, sort of stays in that rationalized state. Yeah, really. exactly. And, and it's kind of, it's, it, it, it fits quite well with, with consumerism and with capitalism. Oh. And, and, uh, and, 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 and health i mean gosh we're so obsessed with health aren't we so so it's yeah. like everyone wants to be and also it's like you know you think about like say the kind of 19th century idea of the um or, the, or you know the the old idea of the spiritual seeker would be this kind of you know um someone who's renounced the world you know <laughs> lived in a cave and is very thin maybe, or if they're an Indian, you know, yogi, they'd be covered in ash or something. And now, but now the kind of wellness influencer, they're absolutely gorgeous. You know, their body's beautiful. Uh, yeah. and, and so they haven't renounced the world at all. <laughs> you know, they're I know, like, and they're probably, probably sitting on a beach with a picture of them on Instagram, sitting on a beach with a crystal meditating. Um, yeah. We get a lot oh, yeah. of those I mean, here. 
Well, sure. I, you know, if you go to Goa and you go to the beach at sunrise, it's literally about a hundred people taking Instagram photos of themselves yeah. doing poses, which is, which is, you know, that's, that's fine. And I suppose there's always been an overlap between kind of religion and spirituality and wellness for the last century. You know, you had movements yeah. like Christian science or new thought. That's just an American thing. I think Americans are obsessed with mm. health and yeah. wellness. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's why I was so keen to but, talk to you. But I, I'm interested. Tell me, like, in, in Australia, to what extent is the culture open to kind of self-transcendence? To what extent is that a mainstream conversation? Um, I think if you went on to the TV, which is generally, um, so out, you've got Netflix. Um, the, the advent of Netflix has meant that TV is just full of um, reality TV, which is yeah, shite. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so, um, I guess there's still. I mean, you're talking to me here in Western Australia. There's still a very conservative mm. core to that. But then on right. the other end of the scale, there are a lot of people who are out there. You know, I'm connected to networks where cacao ceremonies breathing ice bath and um yeah those three they're very in vogue at the moment very in vogue uh, yeah. putting those three together um and there's meditation retreats and right. so yoga. there's a kind of personal development yeah yeah there's a, you know, there is a growing kind of spirituality and so on yeah 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 so despite mm. the fact we have this very conservative core there is there is this growing and growing and growing um like curiosity and and wanting to get further into it which mm. you know for for somebody who's who is in, intrinsically curious about the the depths of the dynamics of of, of what it is to be a human in the human experience you know mm. my nectar is reading young and 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 ken yeah. wilber and people like that and yeah. so so i can start to see things moving and shifting yeah, and yeah. Like, I, I think it's brilliant that we're moving towards mm. that because that's a, you know a society that i want to live in yeah recognize you know the, as you as you pointed out the, a lot of us are carrying trauma trauma and scars that we have our mm -hmm. psyche is just very cleverly you know our personas are very cleverly hidden yeah. and 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 then all of a sudden when the time's right out it comes and i think right. as you rightfully said there's a lot of you know there's a lot of collective shadow work to be done yeah the and there's the, there can be a, a naivety within spiritual subcultures about um the kind of the dark side of the subconscious uh, and the dark side of uh, you know going opening up beyond your ordinary ego yeah like it, it, it's 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 not all angels and and uh and, and incense no there. like no, it's no, there's no. messy stuff there's nasty but i think it's also i mean like i, I think the a message i've kind of come back to quite often is like um you know finding a balance between the rational and critical and the um, mystical and ecstatic yeah like there is a risk um in rejecting um kind of mainstream rationalist culture um 
you just kind of, you know, you throw out the baby with the bathwater and you lose, you lose critical thinking and you kind of, you even reject the idea of, you know, truth and evidence and, and, and then just say, um, you know, when you go into altered states of consciousness, um, it, it can give you different type of wisdom, but it can also make you prone um, to, uh, you can be very suggestible. Um, yes. You can, you can, there's a risk of um, getting stuck in mythical thinking and mythical thinking has its role or magical thinking, but it's also can be prone to distortions as well. Mm. Um, you can be prone to kind of uh, cult thinking. Unfortunately, sometimes people go for it. They, they find ecstatic experiences within a certain community which feels wonderful. They feel so kind of bonded to the people in that community. They mm -hmm. feel like this is my true family. It kind of brings up this infant stuff about, oh, my, my actual family rubbish, but this family's wonderful. Yeah. And the leaders of this community are my perfect mother or father. Yes. And, um, and, and you know, what, we've, what we saw um, all through the kind of 70s up to the present day is, is the risks of that. When, when you're finding ecstatic states within a kind of little community, which maybe isn't, necessarily that safe yeah uh, and you know when you join it it seems absolutely beautiful and wonderful but actually it has hidden authoritarian dynamics within it mm. so and i think there's a, there's another risk which i see now is like in this collective breakdown um we are more prone to magical solutions and to magical and mythical thinking um and um you know like that's not all bad, like to kind of be able to shift to different types of thinking, but it, it can be if you start looking for magical solutions in the realm of politics. So, um, you know, like we've, I don't know, I think in Australia and in the UK and in the US, I don't know if you've seen kind of um, some kind of quite uh, extreme conspiracy theories spreading, you know, quite quickly through like wellness and spirituality networks. Yes. Um, like I, I, mean, I saw it at the start of April, um, people, people questioning, like, you know, of course, a lot of people in the spiritual communities are anti-vax and they're, they're pro alternative medicine and, and all that kind of stuff. And they're also suspicious of, of, of kind of the state and, and lockdowns, you know, okay. I'm not going to get into a big argument about vaccines, but then you saw this kind of QAnon conspiracy also spreading through wellness communities. And basically that is, to me, a very kind of magical thinking. You know, it's like there's a secret occult group who are, you know, uh, liberal uh, pedophiles and they're, they're, they're ritually uh, sacrificing children and they're mm -hmm. controlling the world. That is an example to me of like dangerous magical thinking. And if only Trump the Messiah will save us. Um, everything will we'll go back to an age of love. So this is almost a kind of millenary and almost a kind of medieval theory. Um, and, and, you know, like, uh, this, is, this is why in altered states and in altered times, you need to keep your critical discrimination. Yeah. Because um, otherwise you're basically going to become um, hijacked by a myth. You will yeah. be possessed by a myth and you'll just become... Uh, a, a cue bot you know like a kind of yeah. just like you, you you'll be a you know um radicalized basically and and mm. and, and a become yes. basically a zombie
I guess having watched uh, the Social Dilemma movie on Netflix yeah. only just recently, there's yeah. somebody who's going through a spiritual emergency who is in a very suggestible state, who's had this numinous energy brought into them and they're all... Yeah. And, yeah. and you've only got to click on one new video or new link or, or pay yeah. attention to a radical friend's post that bit yeah. longer. And we've, you know, from if, if social dilemma is to be believed, and I suspect it is, um, then immediately you're going to be fed more and more and more and more yeah. and more and more and more and more. And each one so, that pops up, you're going to think, oh, it's a sign. <laughs> like you just, like yeah. you said, you know, one of the key symptoms being seeing signs and seeing collections yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah. You're just going to be fed more and more and more and more, which, yeah. which, yeah. So, so maybe, and part and it, of, maybe part of help helping out your friend in a spiritual emergency is take the fucking phone off. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because when you're, uh, you know, when you're in a, a, a frightening uh, state where your old beliefs have melted, you, you just very much can be looking for certainty. Like, give me another story. Uh, give me something to hold on to because I feel like I'm drowning. And so it's, you know, you've got to be very careful in that, that you don't end up holding the wrong story, just seizing onto it. And, and like, you know, okay, what the story might be like, oh, I'm the Messiah. That's what, that's what David Icke thought. You know who I mean by David Icke? Yeah. Oh, I know exactly who you mean. I, yeah. You know, so he, you go back so he and watch the original Wogan and there it is. Yeah. And he, and he had a kind of spiritual emergency, I think, where he thought, um, uh, I feel di divine and connected to all things, um, but the, the world's going to end, but I'm going to tell everybody. And he went on Wogan and, and the, the, the nation laughed at him. Yeah, I remember. And, and, um, and, then, and then, you know, he went down this very dark rabbit hole of, oh, it's all a, an evil conspiracy with kind of lizard people. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, um, that, that kind of found resonance with an audience. So he's now had to kind of stick to that story for like 30 years or something. But yeah. I guess um, the point is that in that fluid state, just to try and not just grasp hold of this, the first magical narrative you come across, but often it's, it's, our, it's our beliefs and our need for certainty mm. that mess us up. Like, yeah. can, we, can we stay uh, grounded in uncertainty like yes. we have this experience and it's both beautiful and it's also quite painful and it has some meaning to it but there's also a bit of the who the, who the fuck knows like yeah. you know i mean like i i do not like it's okay to say i do not know precisely what's going on uh in the spiritual world i'm not exactly sure the nature of the divine that is totally okay to say that you know and also like politics um I, i'm not even entirely sure what's going on globally politically that that's okay yeah. too like yeah. no one is i've met leading kind of political thinkers and politicians they don't know what the fuck's going on either so yeah. you don't have to have one global theory about the nature of you know the divine the political and everything it's okay not to know you know what i mean yeah. I think I, I, I've, I've spoken about my own, I, I did a presentation about this not so long ago, about my own addiction to knowing things. Yeah. And, 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 and I think I tracked it back to almost like when you have an original source trauma, 
Um, mm. You don't know what's going on. You feel out of control and you have these nasty things called emotions that come up. So then you yeah. create a persona which is in control and knows things and, and, yeah. can, and suppresses these things. So immediately yeah. we need to know, we need to know, we need to know, we need to know, we need to know. And, and then that yeah. persona just goes off and to just sit there right. and go, I haven't got a fucking clue who I am right now. Yeah, really no, no, you look, and you look, if we compare now to like the 20s and 30s, um, people got seduced by grand theories, uh, you know, that explain everything, like mm. Marxism and fascism, and these were kind of magical solutions, magical total solutions. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we lost the messy middle. So can we kind of stay in that messy middle of not sure but this is kind of you know this isn't this isn't you know going to create an age of love but this might kind of you know make it a little less bad and a little bit better so that just kind of you know the politics of the practical um yeah no but it, it is tough and, and like we can be um even you know even kind of um even a very negative story is sometimes less scary than being unsure about what's going on Yes. Like we, we sometimes get, even if we have a very negative story about ourselves or about the world, at least it's familiar. Yes. You know, it's better, it's better than admitting I'm not really sure. I don't know. I mean, I saw that when I was in a support group for people who had social anxiety in my, when I was in my early 20s. People would really cling to their negative beliefs that, are, you know, like, for example, I'm a, I'm a loser and I have no friends. They would really cling to that because it was familiar. Yeah. Um, anxiety was their friend yeah faithful companion yeah 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 exactly um two two last quick questions um because mm. i know you got a busy self off to pre-lockdown um <laughs> Britain. Yeah. um without disappearing into wishful thinking um do you think there's also a role here that not only a, a we we sort of individually as that dare i say it nodes opening up to spiritual emergencies. But also, do you think there's a, I explored this with a Jungian analyst that that's psyche or the self, capital T, capital S, mm. is starting to emerge more, which will force more of mm. the um, spiritual emergencies. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not yeah. just us, it's right. collective us. I don't know. Um, I'm open to the possibility. I think like, mm. People have been in the, in New Age spirituality have been saying a massive paradigm shift is upon us any day now. They've been saying that for a century. So, um, for example, in the kind of eighteen nineties, you had psychical researchers yeah. who uh, you know invest, investigated like sp spiritualism and seances, and they thought that within 10, 20 years, every human would be functionally telepathic. And the communication between the dead and the living would be like um, like you and me communicating now. It would, yeah. it would, like, it would be like Zoom. So yeah, and then, and, then, and then in the 60s, certainly people thought that there was a mass spiritual awakening happening and that, I mean, Ram Dass and Timothy Leary thought mm. the whole of America would become enlightened in a matter of months. Um, and then in the 90s, people thought the same. And then in 2012, with the kind of, you know, harmonic convergence and the Mayan calendar. So 
you know, I wrote an article called Dude, Where's My Paradigm Shift? Like <laughs> about like, well, you know, where's, where's, this, where's this grand spiritual awakening that, that we've, been, we've yeah. been told is happening any year now? But nonetheless, there is data that shows more and more people say they've had a spiritual experience like since since 1960 you can look at data that shows like it's like more than doubled in in america um so i i don't know if it, you know i'm wary of of the idea that we're going to shift to some kind of age of love you know mm. that kind of millenarian type expectation because yeah. it's always a bit messy but at the same time you know there are these grand cultural and spiritual movements that happen throughout history. Yeah. Uh, and, and so spirit, as it were, is unpredictable and, 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 and extraordinary things do happen. That's why I like asking this question at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, so it is never quite what one expects as well. Mm. Um, uh, so, and, and, and it's never entirely good either. It's always like a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that, I don't think humans are gonna go extinct. They're on a bad day, you think, you know. But so, so, so something, uh, something, you know, is gonna emerge. Something new and extraordinary is gonna emerge on this, on this kind of adventure. Um, I I I hope that it's it'll be this kind of balance of the of the critical rational and the kind of yeah. uh, numinous, um, but I but I wouldn't bet against some kind of you know more dark fundamentalist kind of thing uh, taking hold in 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 some bits of the world, um, yeah, uh, and and you know. Unfortunately, I see extremist politics rising on right and left, particularly in the States. So, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I suspect we're going into a period where we're not going to have one kind of grand myth, but, but several quite different kind of cultures. Mm. Yeah, um, with, with quite, yeah, with quite different realities, um, which is unfortunate because we need some kind of there, we're facing global problems like the pandemic or you know climate change, which which require us all to work together. So it's unfortunate that we are losing any kind of collective myth or collective yeah belief system, and instead we're you know mushrooming of different realities. Yeah. Last question I ask all my guests um, is it's a hypothetical one, but it's what I always find it fun is if you could upload a single question into the collective consciousness. So everybody just sat still and considered it for seven or eight minutes. What would that be? Um, well, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose, uh, I mean, I, 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 I suppose I reckon the most interesting question that we don't sit with enough is, um, is who am I? Um, because I think if you follow that question, it can take you beyond kind of narrow egocentricity. Um, and I, I, I suppose in some ways I feel like, and this might be wrong, is that the meaning of life is to try and kind of wake up to our, our deeper identity which is kind of collective, 
and spiritual and uh, connected to the natural world. So my hope is if, 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 but I don't know if, I think if people just sat with it for nine minutes, I'm not sure what would change, but I think that's the most interesting question. And it, what's, yeah. what fascinates me about it is I still don't entirely know the answer. So I'm still kind of, well, of course I don't, yeah. you like, um, but uh, so I think that probably is what everyone says, isn't it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Jules, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today. Um, I think more than anything, it highlights the need for conversations exactly like the one we've had today. Um, and if, if it begins to just normalise it for a handful of people um, who, who watch this conversation, um, I'm keen to, here in WA, I'm keen to um, do a little bit more research and try and harvest some of the stories in a similar way that you did um, over in the UK um, just because for all the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today and I outlined today I see more and more people wanting to go down this path which is great but I just think we need to be able to have a few bits um, a few bits of material and support out there so when it happens it happens and not just for the individual but for the community as well so absolutely so, um, I think I think also like it doesn't it's not just happening in in spiritual communities as well it will also happen in christian communities and muslim communities um so there's also an interesting thing about how do different cultures make sense of this what can we learn from each other yeah um, yeah so if people want to find you and your work where do they go to um my website is philosophy for dot org um i got a free kind of newsletter which I recommend people sign up for. Um, and then this book about spiritual emergencies is called uh, Breaking Open, uh, Finding a Way Through Spiritual Emergency. Yeah, I've got a copy on order at the moment. So there you go. George, Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brim.